Well, thank you so much for uh, reading that text so magnificently. I, I really struggle reading out loud, so it's really nice just to shut your eyes. So, Colleen, was it? Yeah, thank you so much for that. That was um, that was absolutely lovely. There's a, a verse. Uh, there's a word in where you what you read out there that I'd like to probably focus this talk around, if that's okay. It's the word hope. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We know that text really, really well. But I'd like to focus on that because I think I'm not too far off one of the, if not the main theme of the entire scriptures. I mean, obviously Jesus. You can see Jesus from the front of the book to the back. But the overarching theme is hope. Now, hope is precious. As a, as a senior pastor, uh, what I've come to realise uh, is that we don't actually know how precious hope is until we've, we've lost it. Or we know somebody very close who has. Um, as a senior pastor, I have the great joy of marrying um, folks, hundreds of people, and burying folks. Very rarely... Do you do both for the same person? And I did. This young man, filled with hope, I married to this lovely young lady. They were built a family over, over the years. And at some point in, in his journey, he lost hope. And I buried him as we lowered him into the, the grave after he took his own life. And somewhere from here to there... This very precious thing we know as hope evaporated like, I don't know, water on a hot fry pan with devastating consequences. And, I mean, if we we're going to be really honest, we would be able to go around this room and we would be able to express our own experiences of waning hope or tell stories of people very close to us in similar situations. We did a, uh, a show for Channel 10 that airs in February. There's not an ad for that. You'll see my ugly head in there. They put makeup and powder and all this stuff on my, my head to try and, you know, improve the look. But we did this, we did a little Channel 10 show, a 45 minute documentary on hope after the Gippsland fires. We'd done sort of six episodes beyond the fire and this is a two year follow up of, of hope that we've, we've noticed down in the Gippsland area. In episode six of the original series, an old farmer boy gets up and, and said, we have a pandemic here in Gippsland. It's a, it's a pandemic of hopelessness. Pandemic of hopelessness. I mean, it's a proper thing. Hope. It's vital. And honestly, I mean, I mean, you know these things. You look at one, two, you look at anywhere in the scriptures, one, two, Peter, it's, it's written to a group of people who are, who are undergoing and about to undergo more persecution and, and their hope is, is given. If not in this life, then you've got hope in the next. We share that, we understand it. And obviously centering in the birth, the death and the resurrection of Christ. We know what that is. But if it evaporates, uh, it's difficult. It did for God's people here in Isaiah. Hope had evaporated. And we read that. Have a look back at the text. 
Now I'm going to do a little sort of Bible safari through you know, Isaiah here, and, and we will come to the text that I was told to speak about. So don't, don't go, what is going on? We're starting in Isaiah chapter 40. He's got to get all the way through to 52. Settle in. <laughs> Be here for a long time and a good time. So here's the, here's the cry of the heart. Now, of course, you all know, you've, I'm assuming you've been going through Isaiah. So you know once you bump into Isaiah chapter 40, there's a whole other historical context. No longer they're in Jerusalem, that's been destroyed, and they're in exile, taken away from uh, their homes uh, by the Babylonians. Now, they've been in exile for a long time, and, and this is, a, I guess, a caricature of their attitude and their heart, and I really like it. They say in uh, verse 27, Why do you complain, O Jacob, and why do you say, O Israel, here's the cry of the heart. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. You know why I like that? Because it's just like true. This is how we're feeling. They're saying, okay, well, there's one or two options here. Either God lacks the ability to see my plight. He can't see it. My way is hidden. You know, he's, he's blind to what I'm going through. Or if he sees it, well, then he's disregarding it. I mean, my prayers are, remember the old ricochet rabbit? Yeah, I've got to be sort of my age to remember ricochet. You know, the prayers are just bouncing around. The, you know, it's like God, hopes evaporating for, for me in this context or for someone I care about in that context. I've been praying about this for a long time and it's like, can't you see my court? You know, are these aches of the heart hidden from, from you? Or, if you can see them, are you disregarding them? So th- this is the, the, the cry of, the, of God's children in exile. And from you know, chapter 40 all the way through uh, to chapter 55, God sends his prophet to announce hope, to say, hey, I've, I've heard the ache, and I'm going to respond. You can see that, and you've seen this, haven't you, in chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. I mean, we've been remembering that this morning. So the prophet's role here is to come to God's people in the midst of their ache, and say, hope is coming. God has heard you. And he is about to respond. Now, as you, you know, bounce your way through chapter 40 through 55, there's some themes that emerge that encourage God's people that when the prophet says God is bringing hope, you can take that to the bank. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a little summary. Have a look at um, Isaiah chapter 40, and I think in verse 10. There it is. This sort of sums up really the two themes that, that are, are followed all the way through Isaiah chapter 40 through to 55 to try and convince you that when God says, put your hope in me, you can take it to the bank particularly if your hope is evaporating, either for yourself or for somebody else that you care for. 
So verse 10, see the sovereign, I love this text, see the sovereign Lord comes with power. In other words, and that's addressing the ache of the heart that we've read earlier, he is powerful. We've been singing about it. He just threw the stars into place. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. God is a powerful God. I mean, you know, my young bloke, he's in the bodybuilding, doing a terrific job, so consistent, works hard at it, and he flexes his muscle like that, he'd take your eye out. It's doink, and it's like, I mean, you know, I, boys do this, don't they? Check how strong I am. And they always show their arm. They never show calf muscle. <laughs> it's always an arm. Look at that. So, you know, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he, and he rules with a mighty arm. God is powerful. God is powerful. Now remember, he, the prophet is, is trying to convince the peoples whose heart is aching. Can't you see me? And if you do, you don't care. God is powerful. I can see you, he says. And then in verse 11, magnificent. I mean, what a great kid's story. He tends his flock like a shepherd. And he gathers the lambs in his arms. It's such a tender. You've got one second, it's a powerful arm, and it's this powerful arm now that reaches down in, in such a loving, tender way, and he gathers the lambs in his arms. And then he carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those who have young. I mean, he is a powerful God. Can't you see what we're going through, God? I mean, of course, none of us has ever uttered a prayer like that, have we? What, are you blind? You can't see it? You're not strong enough, powerful enough? I mean, they were a little bit confused. I mean, God was their God, and the Babylonian gods appear to have beaten Yahweh. So there's a lot in this. He's a powerful God. He does see your plight, but then he loves you. He's a tender God that gathers you and others you love and bears them, carries them close to his heart. He's a powerful God. This is what, and, and these two themes really work their way through all of Isaiah chapter 40 all the way through to 55. Because the prophet begins this argument this trying to convince God's people that you can hope in me. Incidentally, the text that we read out, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. You probably bumped into this. The, the word literally means to wait with patient expectation. If you wait with patient expectation, it does something when hope starts to evaporate. And the prophet is engaged with God's people in exile here, trying to convince them that if you can wait on God, you can take this hope to the bank because he's a powerful God and he loves you. We all know this stuff. But they were confused. Their life circumstances were so intrusive, trying to snatch hope away that they'd lost sight of that. So the prophet's reminding them over and over and over again. So then he announces, okay, God's heard you, he's on his way. 
and he announces his means. Have a look at verse uh, chapter 42. We know he announces my servant's coming. Awesome! I can see the people going, hey, it's been like on 70 years here. Shall we high five at this news? He's, he's heard us. He's powerful. He loves us. Awesome. And he's sending his servant. High five. Here is my servant, it says in verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. Yes! About time. Give these people a gangster slap. He will not shout or, oh, hang on. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. I remember John Ollie, an older guy at BCV many decades ago, used to define justice. It's, it's not rocket science. Putting all sorts of things right. Isn't that good? I love plain speak. Well, what's the Hebrew for justice? What does that mean? Putting all sorts of things right. I like that. In faithfulness, he will bring forth, he will put all sorts of things right. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is going to, this is going to have ripple effects all the way to the ends of the earth. This is what the God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, again, reminding people that are listening of his power who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it and gives breath to its people and life to the herds who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you. Here it is. I love you. I've sent a servant that I've called to you. Um, I, uh, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light you know, to the Gentiles. This is like, this is fantastic. He's heard the ache of our heart. Our hope has been evaporating. The prophet stands up and said, it's done. He's on his way. He's sending a servant. This expectation is building. And then finally, you know, the servant, if you like, in this context is revealed. Have a look at chapter 44 and verse 28. Who says of who? Cyrus. So what? Who says of Cyrus? Well, God does. He is my shepherd. Hang on, I'm very confused. These are Davidic terms. You're on your way. You've heard our prayer. You're coming because you're powerful and you love us and you're sending a servant and the servant is emerging as who? Cyrus? the heck is going on? No, no, no. This is a foreign king. And, and we're even more confused now because who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd. That's like a Davidic term. And he will accomplish all that I please. He will save Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt in the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what I, this is what the Lord says to his, this is going to blow my mind in a minute. He's anointed. What? This is not, this is not going according to plan. I'm not hearing the prophet right here. He's saying that a servant's coming good, that's awesome. And then Cyrus is the guy, a foreign king. And even worse, earlier on it says he was called by God. 
He's acting on behalf of God, a foreign king. He's a shepherd. These are terms, this is sort of Davidic language. And he's your anointed. It's a mind blow for the, the, the audience here. Let me just tell you. This is a mind blow. You know the response? No. No. Isaiah 40 55 is a battle royale between the prophet and God's people. The prophet saying, God's heard you. He is powerful. He loves you. And he is sending somebody to save you. And it's Cyrus. And they say, let me read a text uh, from Dear Isaiah. This is their response. The prophet says this of his people as God answers. Here's a tip. God answers their prayer in very unexpected ways. What? He never does that. When we pray, he always answers exactly. He does what we tell him to do. In the way and the time that we declare. I mean, there's been, I remember Montmorency Gospel Chapel. Remember the little red bags with the two handles, the offering would go around? And sometimes I'd go, you know what, Lord, I've been waiting too long. Here's a watch, just in case you've forgotten the time. Like, it's go time, Lord. Isn't it? And, it, and if you could answer the prayer exactly this way too, that would be good. So I can see God's people, high five, servants coming, this is great. Who is it? It's Cyrus. What? No, it's not. It can't be. He's this anointed. Shut up. He's called by God. He's a shit. No, stop it. And this is what the prophet calls them throughout this exchange. I know how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were like iron and your forehead like bronze. Your forehead like bronze. This is God's prophet proclaiming salvation to an exiled people who utterly and thoroughly reject his message. And it does end in tears. And that brings us to our text. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many that were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? Not those with thick neck muscles and the bronze forehead. They took the servant and they murdered the servant. They took the prophet and they murdered the prophet. And there's echoes of this here. Who has believed our message? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by mankind. A man of suffering familiar with pain, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low self-esteem, low esteem. 
don't you tell us, Cyrus, a foreigner will rescue us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. I mean, Cyrus was a Persian king, incidentally. I don't think the Persians invented the crucifixion. It was a little bit earlier, but they mastered it. They mastered it. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds you have been healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, we've turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep before its shearers are silent, so too he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who can speak of his generation? Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit, not for a split second found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to bruise him and to crush him. Sorry, I'm remembering my Sunday school days, the authorised version. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will speak of his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercessor, intercession for the transgressors. What an odd text. Prophetic texts are often like that. I'm going to tip my hand here. There's all sorts of perspectives. The historical servant met neck muscles of iron and foreheads of bronze and he was utterly rejected and they murdered him for his message. Cyrus, a foreigner, that is not God's means of salvation. But when we read a text like this, this sounds different. I like the Tour de France. 25 kilos ago, I was a road racing cyclist. (laughs) COVID, what are you going to say? Sammy, what are you going to say, mate? It's it's like your cheesecake shop, mate. During COVID, it's like, mate, I'm in trouble. More trouble than the early settlers. So we used to, Mandy and I, with the kids, we love the Tour de France. And look, lots of people do for the scenery. It's just, it's a magnificent. A lot of the main sort of tours, the Giro d'Italia and the, and others, the Spanish tour, you know, the Walter, the scenery is magnificent. And you will often see the bikes, and the Tour de France in particular, it's a classic shot. You'll see the bikes sort of going past sort of paddocks, you know, and, and, and from one shot, the, you know, it's just green paddock and there's the bike riders and they're all going through and you see the road up there. And then they take it, another shot with the sun behind them. 
And the whole paddock it just was like green and brown sticks. You turn around, take this shot with the sun behind you, and, and you can see the sunflowers. You go, oh my gosh, that's magnificent. I never saw that. I could never see that before. You understand what I'm saying? If we stand with the sun behind us, S-O-M, and, and, we, and we look at that text, it's magnificent. It means something entirely different. It's magnificent. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer and make his life an offering for sin. Your sin, comfort, comfort, my people, your sin has been paid for. By this act of rebellion, this act was the very mechanism for the forgiveness of sins. Not, not just for the exiled people, but for the whole of humanity. With the sun behind you, texts like these are truly magnificent. <clears throat> there is a standing invitation, I think. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Um, go over to your Bibles, to, uh, particularly this time of the year, it's nice. In Matthew chapter 11, we'll finish with this. In light of everything that Jesus has done on the cross for us, there is now, for us all, and those that don't know him, people we care about, there is a standing, abiding invitation. And I'm going to issue this invitation now. It says in verse 28, it's Jesus speaking, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love this, I love this invitation. You could put anything in there. Come to me, all who, whose hope has evaporated. Whatever the opposite of rest is, when that happens, that's what it is. That's what you're left with. The invitation is to come to me, all who are weary and burdened, all whose hope is evaporating, all who are filled with shame. You can put anything in there. All who are anxious, all who are worried or confused. Come to me, Jesus says. He can do that. He can offer that. It's an abiding invitation because of what he accomplished on the cross. The Bible says that all who come to I'll never drive you away. This is a standing invitation. Come to me. If you, now if you're just, you know, chewing gum, blowing bubbles, going through life, going, oh yeah, everything's awesome, high five, nothing's ever a trouble, never anxious, never feel shame filled or guilty or, all right, just tune out. But if you're for real, and if not you, maybe you know somebody, give them this invitation this Christmas. Come to me. If you're feeling like this. Now, I've got to be careful because it's live streaming, so I'm going to change names, faces, everything. Uh, I have a friend... She lives in a faraway country. And she was a spy. And her role was 
to infiltrate Christian churches. And she tells me all the time that she was good at it. She would turn up to the church, yeah, Jesus rocks, you know, clap, clap, sing, sing, all, just one P and all the pod, you know, just couldn't tell any different. She would not have known Jesus if he, if he was floating in her porridge. There was no, he would, she wouldn't have even been able to recognize him. But as she kept infiltrating churches, of course they were talking about Jesus. And she tells me on one night, the preacher stood up and told the story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And she said, I could not believe that a God would do that for us. And she gave her life to Christ right there and has been changed and is changing the face of a country with the gospel since that day. Come to me in light of the cross, with the sun and the cross, the resurrection, you know, the birth over Christmas with the sun behind us and and the knowledge that Jesus died for us. And this invitation is now abiding. Come to me. Let's let's maybe come back. Maybe some people sit in churches and they, you know, do all of this. And if they were saying, "Look, I'm I, I I'm a follower of Jesus," but you know what? Maybe I need to come back to Him. Maybe that's your invitation. I spoke at a Christian college this week. Um, went in the door and had a strange sort of feeling. I don't think it was a chicken vindaloo upsetting my tummy. I think it might have been the Lord give me a little nudge. I went in the in the gate and I thought, I just feel like giving a an opportunity for folks to bump into Jesus this Christmas. So I used this text, come to me. And then I sat down and I went, oh, no, it's, it's a Christian school. It's about, it's gonna, any minute, seven or eight hundred kids coming into the auditorium. Oh, it's a chicken vindaloo. The chaplain pulled me aside and said, Linz, do you know, probably half of the kids that are going to come through this door do not know Jesus at all. It's open sort of, you know, enrolment here. They don't know Jesus. If, he said this, if you felt like giving a little invitation, always said I felt like it. I feel like it. (laughs) And I said the same that I'd say to you, dear folks. Most of you probably know Jesus. And we read a text like we read this morning and it is rich for you because it reminds you of what Jesus did for you on the cross. But maybe for some of you, one of you even, it's maybe time to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've sort of just drifted off a little bit. Maybe, maybe you've never actually really ever come to him in the first place. Couldn't be true. At Montmorency Gospel Chapel. Oops. <laughs> Community Church. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Here's the invitation. I'm going to pray now. That, that, that's all I've got to say about this, unless you want me to say anything else. I don't know, but I, I might pray and it'll, I'll give, I'll leave space for, for you to respond. Because I think, I oh know this invitation is, is, a, is an abiding invitation for us all. You know, in light of the Jesus Christ.
Um, Thank you that you died for each one of us. And yes, Lord, we had strong necks and bronze foreheads. At some point, we rejected you. And yet, you still went to the cross for us. So, Lord, we want to say we love you and we want to thank you for that. And now, Lord, we hear echoing through time this invitation to come. We carry many wearisome things, burdensome things, but we want your rest. So, Lord, if we've never come to you, maybe this morning something about the cross has ignited something deep within us. And Jesus, maybe for the first time, we appreciate that you're a powerful God that deeply loves us. And Lord, will come. And for others, Lord, that may have forgotten or drifted, got caught up with other things, Lord, we're coming back. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Amen.